Boy, we've been blessed already, haven't we? God bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness in starting the year the way you are. We welcome those who are listening on WHKP, those who are watching online as well, and I hope your hearts will be strengthened, your faith will be strengthened because of what we'll study in the scriptures in just a moment, a message that I, that I believe is very important for us to wrestle with. Um, we are at that time of year where we're closing out our Lottie Moon offering. That's a very important offering. We're still a bit short, so I encourage you to consider giving more to support missions through the Lottie Moon offering. Uh, we don't take up an offering plate, so there are giving boxes on each side here at the front, in the foyer, and in the Welcome Center. Now, before we look at today's text, let's do what we do every week. Let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16, then join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're studying the book of Acts. We're in chapter 24, and I'll be reading just verses 22 through 27. And I want to show the impact of it by what is said in verse 27. Since Felix, that's the governor of that, that area of Rome at that time, since Felix was well informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing saying, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him. Now watch. On the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. Uh, that's the John 3.16 gospel. You put your faith in Christ. That's salvation. But he went beyond that. Look at this. Uh, he, now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, I'll leave for now. When I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. And after two years had passed, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Two years in a cell. And the only words we have about those two years are what we read right here. The summary of one time where he met with a lost Roman governor. But I want to tell you something, folks. Just this summary is something we need here today. I mean, I, God has put a, 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 an alarm in my heart that we need to discover the truths of what he went through with this pagan governor. Now, let me explain what we see here. Paul was clear about the gospel as faith in Christ, and that's all it is. But beyond the gospel, he laid a foundational background, put foundational truths down of righteousness, self-control, and judgment. This reminds me a lot of Romans. I'll begin teaching Romans again at Fruitland this Wednesday, 
And what Paul does in the first of Romans, in chapter 1, he just lays out with detail the sinfulness of the Gentile world. Then in Romans 2, he comes out and he lays into the hypocrisy of the Jewish world. And then he spends half a chapter in Romans 3 talking about how all of us have sinned and we've all blown it. And then finally, at the end of chapter 3, he finally brings up faith in Christ. Before he brought up faith, he had to lay a foundation because here's a principle. Until people recognize their loss, they won't get saved. And that's what we're missing in our culture. There's no sense of lostness because the foundation has not been laid. So I'm going to look at these three things and apply them to our culture first and then apply them to us Christians. Number one, Paul spoke about righteousness. So let me define righteousness. Righteousness means that God has set unchanging standards for right and wrong. Righteousness means that God has set unchanging standards for right and wrong. Let me tell you about the two people he's speaking to at this moment. He's speaking to Felix. Felix is a governor of of the province appointed by Rome. All we're told at the end of this chapter is that he'll he'll leave and Festus will come and take his place. But the Roman records give us more details. The reason he gets fired is because they found out he's been taking bribes. He keeps Paul in prison because he's waiting on a bribe, but that wasn't the only bribe he was trying to get. And so finally, Rome says, I've had enough. So here's a man who's got no ethics. He's he's keeping people in prison, waiting on bribes. But he brings his wife, Drusilla, in. I mentioned this briefly last time we were in Acts. Drusilla was the daughter of King Agrippa I. He's the one that killed James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, His father was the one who killed John the Baptist. His his, His father before him was the one that killed... Uh, All the babies when Jesus was born. What What a family tree. Her sister is Bernice. We'll meet her next sermon because she's living in open incest with her brother who's one year older than her. So we're talking about an immoral mess of a family. And what Felix did, Felix fell in love with her, hired an Egyptian sorcerer to put a spell on her. So she left her husband and became his third wife. He divorced his second wife and married her. So here's Paul and said, where do we need to start? How about there's such a thing as standards of right and wrong that never change? You can see why he got so uncomfortable because here he is talking about right and wrong with a a couple that's living such immoral lives. Over the Christmas weekend, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I used Luke 2 and I talked about the fact that we got what we needed on Christmas. We got... Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I mentioned that those are the two things we all need for Christmas. We need a Savior because we've all sinned. But we also need a Lord. And this is the point I made about the fact that we need Jesus as Lord. I said, you're not big enough to be your own God. You can't rescue yourself. And you're not wise enough to be your own God. Every time you go your way instead of God's way, you're going to mess things up. And so we need a Lord who will take over and and tell us what we need to do. Well, I used an illustration on that point. I talked about a man who was a Navy SEAL who in 2013, after he'd finished his time in the service, announced that he was a transgender woman. He uh, later talked about the fact that he went to the VA with his struggles. And after just one hour of counseling, the counselor said, you are transgender and gave him a prescription for female hormones. And so since 2013 to the end of 22, he'd been living that way. But he came in in the end, in December of 22, he began to appear on news outlets and other places to say 
that he had made a grave mistake. He had actually ruined his life. The effect of those hormones uh, was something that had damaged him completely. And he said the reason why he was coming out saying that he had made a mistake, that he was a man and he was admitting that now, was he was concerned at all the teenagers in America that simply go to a counselor and they're immediately given prescriptions for these hormones. I don't know if you know this, but Europe is now changing its laws to not allow teenagers to receive them because the studies show that between 68% and 98% of teenagers who go through a phase of, quote, being transgender, it turns to be a passing phase. So if you give them puberty blockers and you give them the hormones, then you're damaging them. Let them have time to get these things figured out is, is what Europe is basically saying. But America is head over, going all out. As soon as somebody says something, they're given the hormones. Well, that, I, I use that illustration to say, if we go our way, we're going to mess it up. Here's a man said, I messed my life up because God made me a man. I said, I'll be my own God and I'll make myself a woman. Well, Karen invited a friend. And the friend, by the way, agreed with the point that I made. She wasn't critical of that. But she called Karen up and said, did Steve get any feedback from being, talking about a transgender person in a negative light? And uh, Karen explained, well, we're a Bible-believing church. There was no feedback. But, uh, but here's the deal. I thought about that. Uh, what was controversial was not that a man would say he's a woman. What was controversial is that a preacher would criticize that. Do you see that? That's where we are in this culture. Um, I believe we need to recognize this, friends, that the issue behind all the issues is this. Who is going to decide what is right and wrong in your life? Who is going to be the authority that you base your life on? Uh, our heroes today in our culture, I think you would agree with this, are those that we, we make, we put them on the front page. I'm going to write my own rules. I'm going to throw away everything I've heard from the past and do it a new way. I'm going to draw my own map. Folks, can I explain something? If you draw your own map, you're going to end up lost. That's why the Bible calls non-Christians lost people. We already got a map. It leads to the best life possible. It leads to heaven. We don't, we're people who say, I don't need a new map. I'm going to go by the time-tested map that was sent by God. We can't throw away all the rules. I, I, I'm, I'm probably going to watch some football today. But there'd be no football if there were no rules. Can you imagine if everybody did what was right in his own eyes on the football field and there's no referees? And I mean, how, how in the world could you play a game? There has to be rules and they have to be kept. Trevin Wax has written a book recently about the beauty of orthodoxy. And this is a quote from that. He said, the most rebellious thing we can do in a world that prioritizes nonconformity is to stand out from the crowd by deliberately conforming our soul, mind, and body to a truth bigger than ourselves and our desires. Can I just make this clear? They're not the nonconformists. We're now the nonconformists. When we sit here and say, I've got a map. I'm going to go by what God's word says. You're the one that's now on the outside of society. You're the one that's now the rebel in society. And so that's where we are. Years ago, there was a humble missionary in India named Samuel Justin. And folks, oftentimes Hindu authorities would get awful upset when they found that missionaries were telling people in India about Jesus. So they sent the police in, and the police had one question. The authorities wanted to know, 
by what authority are you here telling people about Jesus? And he opened his Bible to Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He quoted Jesus saying, he is, by the way, they just wrote that down and they let him go. Because they had their question answered. He's here by Jesus' authority. Christian Post, I would highly recommend that you read the Christian Post online. It is a great news site for what's going on in Christianity. It doesn't have a slant in one direction or the other. It just gives great news reports. A year ago, December, they were taken off Twitter. They were only put on this month, back on again. Let me tell you what caused them to be taken off Twitter. A year ago, December, the USA Today named the Undersecretary of Health and Human Services, who now calls uh, herself Rachel Levine, himself Rachel Levine, was named the person of the year. When the Christian Post posted that and commented on that, they described him as a man who is saying that he is a woman. The board of Twitter said that is hate speech and will remove you until you give us an apology. And they said, we can't give you an apology because we're Christians. We have to go by what Jesus said. And if you have any doubt on the subject, and I'm through with it after this next quote, this is in red in your Bibles, in Mark 10. Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Our, our question in the culture today is this, who is the authority? Are you going to be your own God or will you trust what God has said? You've got to decide. Am I going to write my own map or am I going to trust the time-tested map? So he talked first of all about the fact that there are definite standards of right and wrong. That's righteousness. Secondly, Paul spoke about self-control. Uh, we live in a society that does not believe in self-control. In fact, if you tell anybody they hold, ought to hold back on any urge, then what you'll be telling them is something the world now brands as repression. If you have a desire to sleep with this person, you have a desire to take this, don't, don't repress your desire. That's the way, that's the way you should, you're, you're, you're denying your true self if you don't give in to everything. I think I know where this became the dominant teaching of our culture. In 1946, a Dr. Benjamin Spock, now this is not this Spock, uh, th this is Dr. Benjamin Spock, wrote a book that sold 50 million copies on parenting. In this book, Dr. Spock told parents, and 50 million people bought the book, that you're never to tell your children no, and you're never to discipline your children because you will destroy their self-image and their ego. So there was a whole generation who were never told no. If you want to do it, do it. Never, no boundaries, no discipline. Before he died, Dr. Spock recanted his book. And here's a quote. We have reared a generation of brats. <laughs> that was the result of his teaching. So here's our society that basically says... Any concept of self-control is repression. Here is God's word that says that one of the foundational truths to understand the gospel is the fact that God calls us to say no. Let me give you a scripture that puts a contrast between us and the world. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and through 5. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. Carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. 
And they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. And they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. We're not like the world. We're not giving in to every passion. And they're surprised we don't. And they slander us because we don't. So God calls us to self-control. The third thing he spoke about was future judgment. Future judgment. Folks, do you realize the majority of people are going to wake up in Henderson County, are going to wake up this morning, go to bed tonight, and never once think about the fact that one day they will die, and one day they'll stand before God. It doesn't matter your age, they're not going to think about that. We were jolted last Sunday. I've seen the replay of what happened on, on the news. Uh, a player, an NFL player named Damar Hamlin, this is, was a sad thing, collapsed on the field and actually died. In fact, we're now told that they resuscitated him. He died and they resuscitated him again. Now, the good news is, I was reading this morning on ESPN and other places, that he is now alert, sending word. In fact, he said, thank you for your prayers and keep on praying. But let me tell you what happened on that NFL field. I, I don't think that the players at that moment were thinking, I'm going to stand before God one day. I, I'm, I'm not going to live forever. They were, they were, they're NFL players. They're invincible. But as soon as that happened, the players on the field turned the football field into a prayer place. They were kneeling and praying. Teams were joining together to pray because all of a sudden they were reminded of a reality that wasn't present in their minds. That this life is only a short test. Eternity is the main thing. Benjamin Watson, who is a committed Christian, was on Anderson Cooper this week. And he talked about the mentality, especially in the NFL. He said, these times bring us face to face with our mortality. We all have a day to be born. We all have a day to die. And so often in between those points, we feel invincible. But here is Paul standing before this governor who will be fired two years later. Kept him in prison, but this man will be fired. And he says, I want you to be clear on this. There are unchanging standards of right and wrong. God has called us to self-control and there will be a judgment to come. Now, I'm writing these sermons with Justin, so I need to credit him with where I'm going next. Because as we were talking through this, Justin said, don't stop there. He said, because if I stopped here, I might give the impression that here we are at First Baptist on top of the mountain looking down at that sorry world. We've arrived and you're way down there. Y'all need to be like us when the truth of the matter is, if you heard me talk about God's unchanging standards and that we've got to live up to them, if you heard talk about self-control, about judgment to come, we need to be humble, those of us who are Christians. Be because it's not like we're doing real good on those areas ourselves. Let me talk about this God's unchanging standards. I think that everyone in this room who's a committed Christian believes that there are unchanging standards of the Word of God. But I think every honest Christian in this room would admit you didn't live up to it this last week. We still struggle. Uh, this morning as I was getting ready, so I didn't have time to put it on the screen, listen to Romans 7 where Paul talks about the inner struggle in his heart. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire... To do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. 
For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. How many times have we said, I'm going to never do that again, and we, we do it? How many times have we said, I'm going to always do this, and then we don't do it? There's Paul at the end of his life. I'm sitting here after walking with Christ since 1969, and I can read that and say, that's my testimony. So how is it that we Christians view the fact that there is such a thing as righteousness? Two things. Number one, we understand grace. Hallelujah. God does not give up on us. God is the God who in mercy forgave us, and God is the God who still keeps us. And, and even though I know the standards are true, he's, he, I'm still a recipient of His grace. But the other thing that we keep in mind is this, that He has entered our hearts through His Holy Spirit, and that although I am not perfect, I have not arrived, there ought to be some sense of progress in every Christian's life. I can say this, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I was. And I think that's the testimony of a Christian. We have that urging inside. Eugene Peterson wrote a great book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he gave an insight into what Christian life looks like. He said this, he said if you were to micro look into a Christian, a section of a Christian's life, it might be that that's a period where they're going down. But if you look at the long span of a Christian's life, you'll see that even though it does this, the trajectory is upward. Do you see that? We're in a long obedience in the same direction. It's not about this week's victory or loss. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And then he spoke about self-control. Oh my. Monday I made a commitment to eat right and I'm doing so good so far. I dream of food. <laughs> but uh, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on a great diet I'm just doing what you're supposed to do uh, but so who am I to sit here and say that lost world that's lost its control uh, I'll tell you one of the things that we've got to recognize about self-control once again this brings our dependence upon God into play in Galatians 5 22 through 23, when it lists the fruit of the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's not about you making a resolution and gritting your teeth and doing more. You walk and you pray and you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. However, and Justin once again brought out this insight, that winning the battle of self-control is a mix of dependence and devotion. It's a mix of dependence and devotion. In other words, I need to come to God and say, God, help me keep, stay on the path that I need to be as far as my eating or whatever your struggle is. But then I also need to say, I'm not eating that. There was a man who made a similar commitment that he would change his eating habits. He told his friends, pray for him. One of his friends saw him coming out of a bakery with a handful of stuff. And he said, I saw you come out of the bakery. He said, well, you know, you need to understand, I prayed about it. I said, Lord, if you want me to go to the bakery, let there be a parking place open right in front of the bakery. He said, sure enough, third time around the block, there was a parking place right in front of the bakery. And then lastly, judgment. We Christians need to wrestle with judgment. Now let me explain something. I will never be punished for my sins because Jesus paid it all. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
But we Christians will face the judgment seat of Christ, and that will be for the level of reward we experience in eternity. And that's not something to take lightly. Because after all, this is a short test. And I want to hear well done. And so we need to be serious about the fact that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But when it comes ultimately, I, I, I will say this. I know without a doubt that I'm going to heaven because whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I know my sins will not be displayed before my eyes because he's taking care of them. So I don't have fear about the judgment to come. Let me give you a great scripture. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. So yes, we still struggle with righteousness. We still struggle with self-control. We take seriously the fact we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Knowing though that we have been forgiven. And that we have a place in heaven. We're both struggling. But no, I take that back. The lost world's not struggling. They're giving in. The lost world's taking these truths and put them away, out of their sight. But can I tell you why I'm so passionate about this this day? Friends, we're losing our country and we're losing the next generation. Because we've got to do what Paul did with that pagan governor. If we're going to get them to understand and grasp the gospel of faith in Christ... We've also got to lay a foundation of righteousness. There is an unchanging set of standards of right and wrong. Self-control. You don't just give in to every desire and the judgment to come. And if we don't do that laying the foundation, folk, I don't know what hope we have. We've got to lay the foundation and then make a beeline to Jesus. Let's pray about that. Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will... Take a chisel on our hearts of stone and write these truths on them. Make us be firm in what your word teaches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.